Hello friends, how's it going? My name is Matt Bart and you're listening to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast, the show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for tuning into this episode and I hope you enjoy it. So just a little recap, um, this is the third episode of the Jackson Times Natural Selection Omnibus that myself and Owen took care of while we were in Jackson Hole working at Natural Selection. First two instalments, in case you missed them was uh, with Tom Tebow Monteroso and then with Sandy McDonald, one of the judges. Highly recommend you listen to both of those. Um, so yeah, this series continues with this conversation with the man behind the entire event, Travis Rice, in what is now our traditional post-event debrief. Well, we did one last year as well, so I'm calling it traditional. Um, so this year I was particularly interested in speaking to Travis about some of the specific talking points that have arisen around this year's Jackson Hole leg of the series. Notably, the ongoing rumblings about the judging. I did cover that with Sandy, but I also brought it up with um, Travis, particularly around his heat with Kevin Backstrom, which uh, definitely picked up a lot of online heat that I know Travis was aware of, so I wanted to talk to him about that. Um, And then the other thing I wanted to chat to him about was the huge amount of kickback the event and Travis personally received for making a natural selection NFT series such a focal point of this year's event. I've been wanting to cover the place of NFTs in our world for a while now. Um, I've been trying to get Bobby Hundreds on the show for about three months now and he keeps blowing me out. Um, And at this point, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So this seemed a perfect way of tackling this issue and, um, you know, doing the debrief. So that's what we did. Now, just before we get into it, little caveat... Although I'm lucky enough to count Travis as a friend and also to play a tiny part in the entire natural selection process, I do think it's more important than ever that I use this position to pose occasionally uncomfortable questions and to push Travis to answer some of the criticisms of the event that's begun to do the rounds now natural selection is becoming an increasingly established part of the snowboarding landscape. So that's what I did and the result, as you'll probably know if you've listened to any of my other conversations with Travis, I think I've done two others apart from this is a fast-paced conversation in which the goat's questing pitilessly honest mindset is on full display really good one this got right into it short and sharp um travis was up for going there so we did so i'll be back at the end but in the meantime here's me and travis rice on all things natural selection and nfts enjoy go check 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 there we go we're we're back in how are you tired you said (laughs) yeah i'm a little tired sure i mean we uh well we closed out our last uh great act of uh of the extracurricular activities during the natural selection festival that complemented the week of riding we had uh kishibashi playing with his full band last night which was fucking beautiful yeah it's amazing yeah. yeah and so and that's the guy that's done a lot of soundtrack stuff with you right yeah so kishibashi <clears throat> you've never listened to him i highly recommend checking out some of his albums um we we and i think it was probably kurt that you know first pulled a track of his going into the fourth phase yeah. that we wanted to use and we wanted to use it for this japan segment we ended up later reaching out to him more we learned about him 
and yeah, asked him to score a fair amount of the transitionatory components yeah. through the fourth phase, which was, you know, he did such a good job on. Um, and then full circle, he actually came to our world premiere where we had over 5,000 people for our, uh, our kickoff in Southern California and played live all of his uh, violin solos. Right. Which was just beautiful. Yeah. Is he a local musician? He, um, he's based kind of in Athens, Georgia. Right. Um, but actually, he's most, more recently kind of moved up to Bozeman, spending a lot of time up in Bozeman, Montana, right. where he is currently finishing a film uh, called Omiyari that he's worked on for about four years. Um, and he's partnered with Justin Taylor Smith, who is the filmer that um, I did Depth Perception with. Yeah. Filmer, editor, filmmaker. And that film is going to be super beautiful. Right. I'm really, really curious to see it. It's uh, it's all about Japanese internment camps here in the U.S. during World War II. And in Wyoming, one of the main ones called Heart Mountain um, was here. And so he kind of uh, touches upon the subject, use it, uses it as kind of a compare-contrast to... Uh, you know, current yeah. global geopolitical. Yeah, like a metaphor components. for the way that things are going right now. Have you have you ever read that book, Snow Falling on Cedars? Have you ever heard, have you ever no. heard of that book? Beautiful name, though. Yeah, it's great. You'd enjoy it. It's um, it's about it's about the Japanese internment camps, but it's about it's quite a long time since I've read it. But it's basically about somebody going back into the family history and like understanding like how it affected the family and like how it's gone through the generations. Yeah, it's, it's great. You, you'd enjoy it, I think, if, if you're interested in that. Um, so how long have you got now? Do you have any days off <laughs> ever? <laughs> well, I'm a dad now, so no days off. Yeah, true. Well, actually, let me correct that. Mom has no days off. Yeah. I do get some days off. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're still, we're still uh, you know, closing a, fl- a few loops on this event in Jackson, but... I actually just got off the phone with Jeff Pensiero up in Canada and making plans on kind of what we need to do to to get things ship shape. Yeah. Forecast is good though, right? I hear. Yeah, forecast. Yeah, we actually just got a like pro forecaster, like three week kind of general outlook and looks looks great. Looks like there's it's gonna be, you know, generally cold, yeah. generally a lot of precipitation. Uh looks like we're trending in the right direction. Yeah. So when will you head out? Um I don't know. Right. Uh, midweek, yeah, midweek in a few days. Yeah, head north for two weeks. Go, yeah. I mean, going to interior BC. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good time. So, how are you feeling about this? Because um, I guess you, we're talking on Monday, so it was Friday. So you've had a couple of days to to digest. Um, obviously, completely different from last year in every way. Really, um, how are you feeling about it? I mean, I, you know, to make it simple, I, I feel great. I feel, I feel really good that we still pulled off a pretty fantastic event in about as marginal snow conditions as I think w- we'd ever get. Yeah. You know, barring the freak incident where you get a like rain event right before a high pressure, which it's possible. But yeah. Pretty but, unlikely. But rare. And, you know, no major injuries. Um, Spencer O'Brien sprained her ankle a little bit, but she was riding yesterday, though, yeah, wasn't she? Exactly. So, um, you know, that's another huge positive component. Um, host resort is happy. Um, I'm, I'm psyched, man. I mean, the broadcast was was beautiful. Um, 
everything I've heard is super positive. I'm, I'm hypercritical. So, yeah, you know, (laughs) every time a writer, you know, even goes down due to like conditions or things that exist a little beyond their, um, I guess I just take it a little personally, but uh, a lot of it was completely out of our control this year. And did, did you ever think about calling it off? I mean, cause that was something that was talked that was talked about quite a lot online. You know, there was, I'm going to talk to you a bit about actually about what people, you know, the, the kind of feedback that's been going on online. Cause obviously you've been rolling your sleeves up, getting stuck in a bit last few days, but that was something that people mentioned, wasn't it? You know, like basically the snow wasn't good enough. It shouldn't have been held. Like, did that cross your mind? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, running into it, you know, again, reiterate the, uh, you know, six inches in almost a month that we got up on venue, which most of the work, you know, on the venue happened leading up to it. So, you know, we're up like fine tuning transitions, making the course more rideable. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you walk away from disturbing snow and it becomes rock hard. Um, I think that had we had no new snow, um, yeah, we would have had to consider um, canceling it because there's a certain level of, you know, you're not going to run it. Yeah. But part of the point of it, though, is the word natural, right? (laughs) I mean, it's it's literally in the title. And I think from my point of view, as somebody that's been involved kind of like, you know, slightly, and and, and as somebody that watched it last year, um, I think there was an assumption that what happened last year is going to happen every year, right? I think everyone's a bit like, ah, oh, well, obviously there's going to be three, four, four, four fresh powder on there. Like, you know, but clearly that's not going to happen every year. So you've had the two extremes now, haven't you? Of like what conditions can be like for this event. Um, and I think in the commentary, we talked a lot about that. It was a bit like, well, clues in the name here, you know? And if, you, if you're looking at this event as a way of like demonstrating a vision of snowboarding as you are then this is equally a valid part of that like and the skill level that the riders showed is if anything even more impressive right i mean that's certainly one of the takeaways that i had yeah i mean i think you nailed it with uh it's in the name like we didn't call it dream condition selection yeah exactly you know <laughs> and uh, it's what you try to show isn't it you know yeah and i i i definitely think that you know, the, the more challenging conditions, the more it comes into play, riders' experience, and the sporty as fuck nature. Word of the of, day, that one. <laughs> yeah, as, uh, you know, as conditions were, um, you know, everyone's dealing with it. And some people are making better decisions on what their line choice is, how they're going to ride the venue, than yeah. others. And, you know, I, I don't know how much that was touched upon, but for sure there's a lot of decisions in just what line you're taking, you know, eyeing it up considering what the snow is like yeah um so you know uh, so she goes i mean yeah the, the beauty is sometimes it's a resort day yeah and shit's hard and you're just hunting trannies and sometimes it's three foot deep yeah well that's I, what i was saying as well to to some of the guys like i mean everyone in the world's been here you know you go somewhere and it's it's not what you want and you just that's that's also snowboarding isn't it that's, yeah yeah but i mean you know, you can definitely make the best of it. I mean, we had a, in, you know, it was cold in the valley all week, real cold, uh, but we're inverted here every day. So it's, you know, 20 degrees, 25 degrees warmer up top. And I mean, frankly, groomers were 
as good as they get. Yeah, it's a fun. bunch of like really, really fantastic snow quality for carving and, and riding. And um, you know, conditions wise, I, I even think what we had last year isn't necessarily the best conditions. Right, that's event. interesting. Why not? Um, I think that it's going to be somewhere in between. Right. Um, I don't think you know super deep is necessarily high performance. Um, and you know, I think that ideal conditions for this venue would, you know, maybe it's only a foot deep, yeah. um, but there's good, like there's good gradation between the snow densities, right? You, like the top surface is real light, you know, and then it kind of compresses down, um, so much so that, yeah, you can still create a two to three foot deep bomb hole, but it's firmer layers underneath that have not been, you know, disrupted. And the reason I think that is the most ideal is because the the level of performance, you know, you can still ollie out of the snow. You can still carve through the snow. Yeah. You know, last year was kind of almost bordering on like you were losing some performance because of the depth. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It's just going to be interesting, isn't it? To see when, because I think again, the other thing that's been fascinating about, about this is seeing how it affects the riding and seeing like how it affects the performance. So yeah, when you get that conditions again, it'll be another kind of take on it, won't it? But on that subject, given the difficulty in adapting to these conditions, who impressed you from from the field? Because there was a lot of different <coughs> styles on display, wasn't there this this week? There's a yeah. lot of different approaches to like how to handle this course. So who who stood out for you? Well, I think there's some there's some riders who rode it really smart um i mean i think blake paul like, yeah you know he he eased his way um through and then finally uh met his match on a greased run that he just really didn't take any risk on yeah um you know i think i think arthur you know i was super impressed with his riding i would have loved to see him you know continue on through the whole season it was definitely a bummer to have him um ejected but he took a you know he took a hail mary approach and <laughs> basically i think the park crew actually went up and measured it and they said it was about 100 foot like that gap onto the side of a spine that he tried on his last run and i mean it was bold but you know he he didn't land it he, yeah he, the transition wasn't quite there you know as he said later i think he i think he noted that um he was like, yeah, it was just the wrong snow for that type of transit transfer. Yeah. Like had it been two feet deep, like guy could have stomped it. Yeah. But, um, I think that, uh, on finals day, Elena and Robin both looked really strong. Yeah. Um, there was a couple features that, that they just stomped some stellar, like incredible, incredible tricks. Um, you know, Sage can't say I'm not surprised. Well, I was, a, everybody was kind of saying, weren't they? I think everyone I spoke to was saying once everyone had got to grips, it was like the names I kept hearing were Sage and Torstein, basically. Yeah. You know, everyone kept saying like, this is just going to suit them essentially. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Sage Torsten. And then, you know, Jared just sticking to his plan and, mm. um, you know, he rode, he rode really, really well. Yeah. Um, I mean, almost had it. <laughs> yeah. You know, when, when he was announced, it was, definitely in europe there was a lot of like who you know who's this kid kind of thing so kind of vindicating to get him picked really you know to see how well he did and to see how how he rose to it and uh yeah i mean that was the thing it was the mindset wasn't it 
Um, how about you and KB then? Let's talk about that because that's had a lot of chit chat online. Oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah. And so, how do you feel about that? Well, the first off, I mean, I think Kevin was definitely one of the standouts for me as well. Yeah, um, amazing. You can just tell. I mean, you can just tell. You watch that guy's runs, and he's he's so centered. He's so so confident in yeah. his riding, and I mean, the guy just oozes style. Um, and yeah, we uh, let's see. I mean, he. Yeah, he had a easy trounce. Trounced me the first head to head. Yeah, he's quite far ahead, wasn't he? Like after that first. Yeah, I mean, I I think I fell. Yeah. Twice, um, on that run. So we went back up for for a second. Um, I put down a I put down a pretty good run, um, but I snapped a tree halfway. <laughs> yeah. And then stop to like throw it off the playing field, so to speak. Isn't didn't I overhear you saying yesterday that those trees are protected well they're not they're not necessarily protected so we've got uh yeah we've got uh some diverse uh flora yeah up on the mountain and it's primarily blue spruce um with some aspen but there's the white bark pine which these really beautiful trees that have been really decimated by the pine beetle right with um you know climate change temperature differences the last 15 years this area has gotten just hit really hard right and so when we're doing our work in there one of our you know main protocols is like yeah we're not we don't touch anything that's white white bike pine and that where that little tree was the little tree i broke um multiple times i had you know saved that tree so to speak in in doing our work yeah and like no no white bark pine like don't touch it like right. we're just leaving it and, uh, and that's when you hit <laughs> and uh i you know when i watched it back I, I thought i like killed it but when i watched it back there's actually still quite a bit of tree left underneath it so i think i kind of topped it it yeah. should it should still live yeah 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 but uh i i took the top off and yeah when i when i went off that jump i didn't have speed to make it over the little gap so i was gonna just air off the side of the lip go around to the next feature and you know that thing was hidden i couldn't see it behind the jump and it was just perfectly on trajectory and yeah. in the air i was like went through my head white bark pine shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> right so how did it um change your approach these conditions because it looked to me that you were there's a lot of calculation going on from you. You know, you've talked about like strategy from from different riders and how people strategize differently. Um, it looked to me like through your runs, you, there was a lot of calibration going on. There was a lot of like um, adapt adapting, and and that came out in your final run. Is that what was going on? Um, yeah, man. I mean, I I was looking at the venue, and it was it was kind of obvious to tell what conditions were like. Yeah, just from the information that we had, our ability to walk down the course and uh the the left side of the venue just seemed to have like a little bit better snow yeah and um like i love a good backside hip but this year i didn't want to have anything to do with those backside hips just because you know there's a little bit more impact you're not catching tranny quite as nice yeah um so yeah i felt it was a bit more suspect on the right side yeah so how do you feel about the kind of chat about you know the, the kb was robbed chat yeah, so, I mean, look, in the moment, I I thought I wasn't getting a third run, for sure. Yeah. I was like, you know, I got, stood up to give him a little freaking back rub, say congratulations, yeah. and it was like, boom, to tiebreaker. Um, I was surprised. We we later had conversation with the judges, 
and you know they like to go through and really get analytical on, yeah you know the, well i just interviewed sandy and um and uh pretty pretty and so pretty analytical. one of the things i actually didn't realize was that if um if it does go to tie break they uh they feel it has to be unanimous that all of the judges feel it should go to that oh really which i didn't realize i didn't realize either um and when they were kind of breaking down the judging you know one thing that they kind of addressed was um and this is you know pretty actually consistent with last year um was that you know unlike a normal competition you know and whatever every competition it's when you dig into the weeds of judging yeah and when you have competent judges that take their profession serious and i think between ours i heard they have over 70 years of like, yeah judging experience something like that um their approach to this event is um like if you crash you're not automatically done yeah like i think you know free world tour is a good example of like like I just saw a runner like Manuel. Manuel in this last event had an insane run. Um, and then at the very bottom, he like hits this little compression and like falls over and docked. Right? Yeah. He's run, you know, no way he can get on the podium. Um, and the, the approach and the idea with the judging stance on NST um, has to do more with like breaking up the, venue and not counting it as like a full make run actually giving points for tricks that are done yeah giving points for things that happen um and so when they you know when they described it um these all i kind of had to go off of at the moment was just like my feeling in the moment yeah and um when they kind of broke it broke it down back to us they kind of talked about comparing the runs and that i just had um taking more risk hit more features and yeah um so you know but it's tricky like um and actually if uh if you listen to this we 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 just yesterday did a pretty cool um took some head-to-heads and went and kind of did like a walk a watch through yeah uh so you and, and kevin. discussed it so i actually had a chance yesterday to like actually talk it through with Kevin, which yeah. is really interesting. So how was that? What was his take on it? I mean, obviously I'll, I'll link it so people can see it, but what was your impression of his interpretation of it? Then? Well, I mean, Kevin's a, a gentleman. Yeah. Kevin's a real nice guy. He's a lovely and so, man, isn't he? You know, his take on it was like, you know, at least yesterday was like, hey man, yeah. Like you go back and you look at, you watch it head to head and understand, you know, how the judging is. Like it was a no brainer. Like, absolutely you got me that run yeah was his take which again i think about where i was in the moment thinking like oh yeah this isn't going to tie break yeah so it's dynamic i don't envy i don't envy being a judge no but you do you have been kind of getting involved a little bit with the the the, the criticisms online you know and you've been sort of engaging um which i think surprised a few people is that because you because it's so important to you that the integrity of the event of the event is is not called into question essentially because you know there's, there's there's a lot of comments like oh fix travis is organizing it like blah 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 you know all that stuff like and- it, yeah i mean like those kind of things i don't even bother replying to because you know at, at the end of the day like integrity is the most important thing and yeah like to have a to have a reality that you know we have this like backdoor handshake that you yeah, know, judges I mean, are going to push me through. Silly, because, isn't like, it? Obviously, yeah. I don't know. It's just that's just funny. 
Um, but as far as like engaging with it, um, I guess I wanted to engage with, with people because I, uh, I'm empathetic to them. Like I, like I said, I mean, I was surprised that I made it into the final round yeah. into a tie break with Kevin. So as a fan, you're almost agreeing in a way, like as a fan of snowboard. Yeah. <laughs> it's you know, quite funny, and, isn't it? And you know, I mean, we all, we all approach it with our own little bit of biases or what we think is a more difficult trick or how a run goes. And, um, you know, fair enough. Like on that run, I hit more features. I did a couple more tricks. Yeah. Um, I had a full stop where I like broke the tree, <laughs> threw it off in the corner. Had a little walk and, around. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, Kevin had a, like he sat uh, off the hip. Yeah. Like full butt plant. And then I don't know if he, I think he like rolled the windows down on a three after that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's so objective. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. No, I think it's good that you, that you were, in, were engaging because I think, I think the more transparency there is in this event, even at that kind of like really granular level, like I think it, cause obviously you've set a certain stall out for snowboarding. You know, th this whole thing is about like a vision of what it can be. So if you, do, if you don't engage with that criticism, then it kind of, corrodes that a little bit doesn't it do you know what i mean so i think it's i think it's important because well, the main just just before you you reply like i keep saying this but the main thing i've kind of there's a lot of people there working very very hard to fulfill this idea you know and that's the thing is somebody coming here and seeing that and working here and working with everybody it's it, it is a thing like it's impressive like everybody is pulling in, in the same direction because they kind of believe in the idea you know and that's impressive and i think that's worth understanding really yeah i mean I, I i agree i concur and you know i think engaging with people about you know some controversial calls it's also healthy yeah like you know you got to be able to embrace um criticism um and we're not going to get it right 100 percent of the time I mean, it's an objectively judged event, right? Yeah. Truth is relative. Um, and so, you know, even rolling, like to continue on, like Kevin and I's run, like rolling into our third run, um, you know, it was the same kind of component. I, I was literally at the bottom, like, dude, this is going to go either way. Yeah. And I was actually really excited about that. I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> we both had great fucking runs. Yeah. Um, you know, Kevin's ender, the front seven on the great wall was freaking fireworks. Yeah. Like it was his tail clutch, full commit on the cork. You got a good picture of that actually. Beautiful. Um, yeah. Was, was freaking beautiful. I mean, I think that was, uh, like shot properly. Like that was, that would have made it in a video part. Yeah. Well, there's like, a lot of that going on, wasn't there? Like the Sage's cab nine as well. I mean, they're basically yeah. like could, could be enders in videos. Like it's, it could, yeah, I, on the first day, I bet Sage wanted to put that in the video part, his cab nine, just because he can do it way better. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, like the switchback five I did at the end of my run, um, like I wouldn't have made a video part. Um, but again, and it was helpful to go through this with, with Kevin yesterday where we actually got to like break it down. Um, it was just, it was about like the whole run and, you know so on and so forth and yeah 
Um, well, speaking of controversy and uh, getting getting stuck in below the line, we got we got to talk about the NFT thing because <laughs> that that has definitely been um, polarizing. Let's put it that way. Um, and my understanding is it was quite a late thing as part of, like it's it's a project that's come together like quite quickly right well it's a project that i've been working on for i mean probably almost 10 months um about six months ago really just hitting the green light on it yeah and then it was kind of my project um so be- why what like because it's it's obviously a thing isn't it right now you know like the world's the world is is grappling with this thing you know and it's like and it, it's one of these things that it's one of those classic like technology things is it kind of depends what age you are you know like the older you are the weirder it is and the younger you are the more you're like yeah that's just what's going to happen you know so everyone's kind of like trying to find their place aren't they with understanding it mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people with platforms similar to you that are actually like really exploring this thing so is that before you get into the mechanics of like the project itself like i'm, I'm, I'm more interested in like um what's the word i'm looking for you know philosophically let's just say like why you're interested in doing it was it because you wanted to like understand it and a project was the was the easiest way of doing that for you to, to like work it through i think that the the primary reason why i felt we not only like needed to do it but had to do it was was kind of twofold um one of which was we wanted to build some type of like member services program where right. we could have a more kind of direct relationship with people that were into what we were doing that were hungry for a bit more information because you know currently we 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 speak to people through you know social media yeah like our instagram account and and that's pretty one directional yeah that's the channel essentially it's like we're putting out information people are like receiving it occasionally you know people make comments on a post that is you know acknowledged and replied to again but i mean that shit just scrolls down so quickly that it's kind of a one one directional communication device and looking and you know for comparative models of what that kind of membership program um would be i i just wasn't really satisfied with you know like what okay so you know 20 bucks i don't know 20 bucks 100 bucks like sign up become a member you know we'll send you your patch we'll send you you know x y and z and we'll take your money and we'll use that money to produce those goods yeah and uh, you know break even project you know at best um, at best. And what's the health of that? Like annual renew, you know, renewing. Okay. Well, we'll automatically renew you. Yeah. It's old school in it. Yeah. So it's an old approach to community building basically. Yeah. And so when I began to learn quite a bit more, I, I actually took a bunch of courses on just blockchain and, and crypto and NFTs because I could see that this thing is here to stay. And yeah. I wanted to really have a better understanding because it is fucking complicated. Yeah. It is it is really tricky. And it's one of those things where even like a few months into like self-education of it, like the more you know, it feels like the less you know for quite a while. Um, but you stick to it and then things really start to make sense. 
Um, and so the other component of why we wanted to do it or why I really wanted to push to do it was, you know, part of this whole component of like value. What, what, what value are people receiving for spending time being a part of what we're doing? Um, and I feel that this is something that whether you like it or not, you're going to have to educate yourself on what blockchain is. And the NFT component is a whole other new format. And I think that's a good way to remind people that, you know, it's, it's not just this little, you know, selling and holding like JPEGs. Like it's literally a new format. Think, you know, think paper file to tape yeah. to CD to MP3 to stream. Like yeah. it's an entire new format. Yeah, it's like the Bowie clip explaining the internet. Have you seen that? Like that famous clip of him in like 1989, sorry, 1999 or whatever he's going like, no, you don't understand. Like it's not, it's not just email. It's not just this. It's actually yeah. going to change the way that we deliver and consume information as a, as a society. So you've seen it in those terms, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And so I also realized that for so many people that, you know, got in on this drop that we just did this past week, like this is their first NFT. Like they don't even know what an NFT is. Like they, they're still confused about it. And so I felt that not only could we build this like member services program, yeah, um, we could also bring people in and start to educate around what this is and what a what an example of a well thought out um project that has ongoing utility and so you know back to the you know you pay 20 or 100 bucks for a membership right so the nice thing that i really like about this program too is it's like someone buys the foundation token at 15 bucks um you know you'll receive utility for that and basically what i mean by that is you will receive like exclusive access to to videos to updates like you know we put out um videos on jackson and like kind of behind the scenes analysis of the venue and if you hold the like selector course map nft you would have received 13 like those amazing gab gopro drone videos like while it course was still perfect condition serene first thing in the morning flies all the lanes of the event this is what we give to all the riders when they come into town on the thumb drive this is how they train for the event right and so if you hold this like you know course map nft um, in your gallery on our site where you hold it you have access to all of these videos um, we also give you the course map and then, hey, guess what? We're going up to Canada. You're into venues. Okay, well, here's information on the BC event. Here's information on the Scary Cherry venue. Here's a whole history about, you know, how things have evolved on this. Here's the, you know, 10, 15 videos that we give to riders to study that venue. Yeah. And then, hey, we go up to Alaska. Guess what? You're getting all that shit. So you can really kind of start to wrap your head around um, another layer of, of what this event is like for you know for being a writer yeah no that makes sense so it's a, so it's a access is one component but you've made a couple of quite significant decisions in the way that you've approached it because you haven't made it a requirement that you need to be on one of the common platforms initially you know you can just buy it and then mm -hmm. and have access to it which is obviously like a significant thing um do you do you envision there being a secondary market for these though? Because obviously that's a, that's a huge part of this whole conversation. Like that, 
that side of it. So is that something that you factor? I mean, I'm assuming it is, but how do you see that fitting into this then? A hundred percent. And that was kind of the rest of that last thought was, okay, someone, you know, puts in 15 bucks for this thing. Yeah. Um, and then when we launch, which right now we're planning on launching a secondary market next fall. Right. We didn't want to launch a secondary market right away because we wanted to make sure people got utility, got a sense of experience. We didn't want people just buying these things so they could turn around and flip them. So they could flip them. Yeah. It's not about, yeah. it's not about flipping. It's not about, you know, profiteering off this. It's about the value you get for holding these things. So that was, that's the way of kind of circumventing the pyramid scheme criticism, basically like to kind of make that the foundational principle of it and then bring that aspect in. Yeah. That, uh, that makes sense. Um, the, set, the, the, the other thing I was going to mention is obviously environmental impact because, you know, like any time this is raised, um, clearly that's what comes up, whether it's crypto, anything blockchain related, you know, the, the environmental impact is, you know, is a thing. And you, you're somebody that's been kind of accused of hypocrisy, you know, over the years, like with with the, the things that you do and the messages that you're trying to to convey through your projects you know the obvious one was always like oh yeah but you've got four helicopters and all your films and all that you know you would have heard that a million times like and that was certainly one of the things that you were getting online about this like you know okay and clearly again you'd you'd thought about that and you tried to address it so firstly explain why this isn't as you see it as environmentally impactful um and then second secondly kind of like tell me how you reconcile that criticism in this context um, yeah. And I mean, you know, when we, when we put this whole thing out, <clears throat> I anticipated a, a lot of criticism. Yeah. Like we, for sure. Um, you know, being new to a new space that's, that's cutting edge that a lot of people make up their own ideas of what, you know, what, what crypto is, what are NFTs, um, you know, even for me, like there's a lot of projects that, you know, my gut reaction I see and I'm like, well, that's stupid, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I haven't actually taken the time to like read into it or understand it or what, understand what the roadmap is or what are the fundamentals. I mean, again, because it's complicated. Yeah. Um, so with the energy component, a hundred percent, I mean, we're partnered with great brands. Sustain- sustainability is like a pillar of our ethos. And there was no way that we were going to, you know, do this project, um, you know, or mint these NFTs on a blockchain that wasn't extremely energy efficient. And there's some realities to the criticism about energy consumption with some of the original layer one networks that are absolutely just, um, but that does not paint the whole picture at all. There's actually some incredible energy efficiencies and there's a lot of blockchain technologies that, um, are more energy efficient than freaking swiping credit cards. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of forget that any means of consumer activity, like there is a footprint. Um, you have coins in your, you know, the, so the energy efficiency of coins versus a dollar bill versus, you know, a credit card, digital currency. Like, you know, you're not factoring in and comparing these things accurately to the whole spectrum. And so we 
you know, through this very arduous pre-production process, um, talking with a lot of specialists within this, you know, myriad of spaces, um, in blockchain, NFTs, and it is a bit of a wild west still. Um, but we ended up settling on wanting to use this blockchain technology that's called VideoCoin. And the reason that we really liked VideoCoin and why I believe in the future of VideoCoin um, is because A, the size of information that you can store is 32 gigs, which is huge. And as we continue to move forward, like the level of complexity that we want to build out um, in some cool future NFTs, like we're going to need that amount of data. Um, and then the second component is the beautiful energy efficient of how the proof of stake um, consensus works with this particular blockchain technology. And then not only that, but the servers and the validators um, run on sustainable power, run on renewables. Um, that's not enough for us. I mean, so if you just essentially take that ecosystem, there actually is not really a carbon footprint. Um, that's not quite good enough for us. I mean, we're still absolutely monitoring and tracking. Um, and we still plug that into our end of the year, you know, offsets and drawdown events that we do for the entirety of the whole tour. But I think to circle it back, you know, the, the criticism of energy efficiency is something that, you know, we wouldn't have done the project had we not had a solution for that. Yeah. Is that a common approach then in this space now? It's not something I'm really aware of. Like are people, well, actually, I guess it's just going to be thinking about it on the fly. It's just going to be like anything in society, isn't it? There'll be people that do things in it that, that are responsible and you try know, and do it in that way. And then the people that won't give a shit about it, I guess. It's, it's just like, it's just like any other business yeah, right? exactly. where it's like, it depends on, you know, who the founders are, who the shareholders are, yeah. who owns the business and what do they care about? What are yeah. their priorities? It's like choosing a bank, essentially. You can choose an ethical bank if you want, or you can choose a bank that fuels fossil fuels. Uh, you know, it's a similar... A hundred percent. Yeah. And um, and there's projects, you know, there's, there's projects that are going to come out that are probably even, you know, more thoughtful and considered than ours. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be projects that continue to come out that their main driving um, motivations... Uh, have nothing to do with environmental awareness. Yeah. There's um, a, lot of, a lot of very visceral reactions to it though, wasn't there? You know, like people very much like, you know, you got, there's a lot of like, well, it's just about money. Um, there was a lot, there was a lot of like, almost like, oh man, you guys as well. No, you know, this isn't what this yep. is. You know, there's a lot of that, wasn't there? Like it's like a real emotional reaction, really. Yeah, super. And And I totally understand that too, because I think a lot of people draw, you know, correlations between us launching you know nfts to like the metaverse right and what you know zuckerberg you know zuckerberg's keynote back i don't know how long ago that was where you know just totally painting this beautiful picture of you know we're going to be wearing vr goggles in eight hours of the day we're going to be you know hanging out in digital spaces trading digital goods 
you know, hanging out with digital friends with our avatars, trying to have experiences. And buying digital items to, to, you know, yeah, to decorate that life with walls and, um, and something that just is obviously most people that are in the outdoors community and appreciate the time that they get to spend in nature and with friends and have real experiences, see that and are like, you know, want to throw up fuck that hundred <laughs> percent and so i think when people see you know oh hey natural selection's doing nfts you know i think there's a, a correlation of like you know oh they want us to you know oh, this is going that direction like really like, yeah you, you guys are gonna have more well your pitch for natural selection though that i've heard you talk about essentially is that you want people to it's to inspire people to to, to get outside more and to to seek out those adventures on their own terms and in their day-to-day life so i guess it is an obvious question like how can you reconcile those two things i mean i think that this goes back into uh, even bigger picture of like we are all responsible conscious advanced life forms <laughs> that have the capability to make decisions on where we want to put our time and what we value yeah and so at the end of the day, um, sure, you want to criticize, be vocal, right on. But like for some people, they are going to get value and think that this is a cool project. A, a, a further look under the hood at what we're doing, why we do it, the yeah. cool things we do, and um, frankly appreciate our, our creative, our creativity and how we go about making the natural selection tour a bit more dynamic. Um, and some people, some people don't have interest in that. Um, I'm proud that we have a, 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 an amazing production around this event and that it's free. People can tune in, watch it live. Yeah. And that's just it. And so we're just adding this, um, additional layer for those that, think that it would be cool yeah yeah no it makes total sense and i think i think you're right i think you know because how many hours a day we're on instagram (laughs) i mean it's which isn't real you know (laughs) like again it's a jpeg at the end of the day and it's 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 a form of non-reality compared to going and going split boarding with your friends having a chat and having lunch together i mean it's 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 just a further extension of that isn't it but and i'm gonna interrupt you real quick to take it one step further um you know one of the reasons i'm excited about the kind of decentralized space is you know your time you spend on instagram um you know that information those analytics those are sold you know you are you are tossed yeah and you are a commodity and I think that's one of the tough parts around the bigger idea and idea of Instagram, right? Is like, we all, we all signed up because we thought it was this cool place where we can share a bit of our lives and create these galleries and, you know, build a beautiful narrative. And little did we realize that we were actually, you know, just a, a part of this business. Be mind. Yeah. yeah. For profit ultimately yeah Yeah. and so the content and the time that we're talking about with say this program with like nfts um you know this is not 
something that, you know, we're going to monetize your data, your information, you know, join us on discord for conversations. Like there's a, there's a beautiful component of that. That is. Yeah. And there's a huge argument about, I'm going to say blockchain, not just NFTs, that it does democratize creativity and it, and like you say that, that time that you spend in that virtual space, like in this way can be, to your benefit rather than the corporation's benefit. I mean, that's the argument that people make about the secondary market, for example, isn't it? You know, that like for creators, it's actually got the potential to be um, an incredibly positive thing because it'll enable you to control like the income and the way that you actually use your your creativity, um, which I think is still something that people are grappling with. Obviously there's people that have got their head around that very quickly and that have like proven that case. I think what's going to be interesting though is seeing like how day-to-day creatives let's say that come to this in a, in a in a later wave kind of like how that pans out really you know but again that seems to be a component of this that you've thought about quite deeply because this comes back to the utility argument doesn't it really and what value it can give rather than just being a two-dimensional thing yeah i mean value is in the eye of the beholder and the seeker um I mean, look, we've we've thought a lot about this, but you know, I'll be first to point out that it is also still experimental. Yeah, and you know, things are evolving so quickly in this space. I mean, one of the reasons we didn't want to start out with a secondary market was, I mean, we don't want to rush into anything without fully understanding where it is, where it's going, and the space is moving really quick, and we're in it for the long haul. I mean, with this, it's like we're like thinking 10 years and beyond not just like where are we going to be how are we going to have this fully you know baked and developed six months and 12 months the whole thing's you know complete and um there's still great solutions that have yet to even present themselves yeah and so we are kind of taking a slow approach to this because we want to make sure we get it right yeah yeah i mean it feels like you're being quite pragmatic in a way because you kind of like it's going to happen as you said so i might as well try and do it on my terms and I might as well understand it in a way that adds value, which is kind of a bit of a way that you seem to operate with your projects, right? You know, you try to take it on as many different layers as possible, you know, like community, creativity, similar approach, right? Yeah, I mean, I think trying to utilize tools that exist to add another dimension to people's experience of how they get to interact with it, whether it's like technology on how we, you know, shoot and film, try to think, make things more immersive, um, to, you know, whether it's, I mean, frankly, with like a lot of the equipment and like boards I do or bindings with union boards with LibTech, you know, out of our stuff, like how can, it's not the easier approach, but, like how do we put some real time and effort into this to make sure that we're spending time on things that are improved for a myriad of reasons that have longer lasting value, um, even though it's more difficult route to take. Um, And I think it's proven um, when I look back at a bunch of the projects we've done to be the right path yeah well it fits that's why i kind of made that analogy really because it does fit 
you know the way you've explained it and again you you've been down down in the trenches getting getting nitty-gritty with this you know you have been answering back and you you know you went you've you've kind of taken pains to explain this really so yeah i do i do think it fits into that kind of worldview with the other projects that you do really yeah interesting man well you got another meeting haven't you so i'll uh we'll wrap it there this is like an annual thing now isn't it like the debrief <laughs> yeah the debrief yeah yeah um yeah i mean look it it it's this is going to be an exciting year we like just talk for, for one last second real quick big picture of the tour um I'm excited because I think people are going to get stuff they didn't realize that we had, that they had coming. Yeah. And I'm not talking just NFTs, just, just people that want to tune in and check out this event, follow us and see what we're doing. Um, I'm really excited for what's going to happen in Canada. Um, super excited what's going to happen in Alaska. Um, you know, new venues. It's, 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 it's exciting. Yeah. Um, and appreciate it. You know, appreciate everyone that tunes in and, that you know even comments harsh criticisms like hey it's great to have you on board and watching um, <laughs> well, well it's all a it's all a learning opportunity isn't it even the i mean life is even the negatives yeah a- absolutely um and you know it's it's easy to criticize things you don't understand i've found myself you know thinking that way or occasionally saying something and then you know, you learn about more about something and it's like, oh, okay. I mean, that, that kind of take of, uh, you know, being a critic or, you know, that gut reaction to like have sarcasm be, you know, the go-to, you know, when you hear of something new or learning something new, it's, it's a safe tactic. It's yeah. much safer to, you know, approach something from that standpoint versus the vulnerability of, you know, rolling in with an open mind or, willingness to to learn more about it before you actually you know put put the label on it yeah somebody who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing as i believe somebody much cleverer than me once said um all right man thanks travis yeah good to see you man pleasure is mine onwards upwards <laughs> so there you go that was me and travis and i hope you enjoyed it big thanks to travis for finding the time to have that chat the man is pretty busy, I'm going to say, with all this going on and a young um, young son to deal with as well, um, who incidentally is bloody cute. Um, shout out to Jupiter. Um, so like I said at the top, you know, I am lucky enough to be part of the massive crew of people putting natural selection together. But I do think it's important to uh, separate church and state, as it were. And I guess what I really wanted to do with this conversation is to use the trust that now exists between me and Travis to ask him questions that I know people out there are asking Um, because if nothing else I think this type of transparency and vulnerability as Travis called it is super important for the integrity of the event Um, on the NFT tip I do think the point that I made during our conversation is true I mean personally my take on this is summed up much more effectively than I'll be able to do so by the great Douglas Adams in a very famous quote that goes I've come up with a set of rules that describe our reactions to technologies. One, anything that's in the world when you're born is normal and ordinary, and it's just a a natural part of the way the world works. Two, anything that's invented between when you're 15 and 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary, and you can probably get a career in it. Three, anything invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. So that quote is 20 years old now, 
but it's one of those things that a little like the David Bowie thing a reference to Travis in that conversation tends to go viral every now and again because it really is such a penetrating insight into the thought process that we all have when faced with any type of new technology. For what it's worth, I thought Travis's explanation of NFTs generally was about the best I've yet heard. And I really would be interested to hear what people out there think of it. You can hit me up on podcast at wearelookingsideways.com or we look sideways on Instagram and let me know what you reckon. Not that that's made it any easier for me to work out whether I should tackle the NFT thing for looking sideways. I keep getting told that I should do it. I still can't quite work out A, whether I should do it and B, if I was going to do it, what the fuck I'd do. Um, So that's where I'm at. Um, That noise you can hear in the background is my dog Peg, who is ecstatic that I'm home and has basically spent the whole time today following me around and is um, hassling me to take him for another walk, which is what I'm going to do in a minute. Um, What I do know, um, NFTs notwithstanding, is that drumroll, myself and Owen are going to produce a zine based upon our trip to Jackson for this whole shindig. We did come back with an absolute shitload of material and Owen's picks from the event are so good that we thought it'd be silly not to. So that's what we're going to do. No idea how that's going to pan out, how we're going to sell it, what it's going to look like, what format it's going to be. We're going to work all that out over the next couple of weeks. The easiest way to keep track of that project is to follow me on Instagram. You can also sign up to my newsletter via my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. If you go there, you can find the entire back catalogue. You can buy mine and Owen's previous book, Looking Sideways Volume 1. You can find show notes for all the episodes and all the rest of it. Although I should say, I am very behind on show notes right now. Um, My big thanks to Duncan Yeldon, who does compile those for me. But I've put so many episodes out recently, we're a bit behind. So uh, sorry about that, Duncan. All right, that's it for this week. I'm going to take a little bit of a break because I've put three episodes out in a week post-Jackson. Probably put the next one out in a week or so, which is going to be an episode of my Patagonia Type 2 podcast. This one with the great Marie-Francois, which also includes a special guest appearance by Spencer O'Brien. We recorded that in one of those comedy little igloos in Jackson on a freezing cold evening, but it was really brilliant. Um, and definitely one of the favourite podcast recording experiences I've had for quite some time, so keep an eye out, or an ear even, out for that one. Uh, In the meantime, have a great week. Nice one.